0: Uh, well, it's good to be back up here with you this morning and uh, to continue our study uh, in Forsaken Fellowship. Uh, and that is obviously the opposite of what we are seeking to do here. Uh, we are seeking to embrace fellowship and uh, all that its significance and meaning is uh, biblically and how we do that uh, as a body here. So, uh, Mike, did you pray yet? If not, yeah. then... Uh, I don't know what the prayer requests are, but I'll pray. Uh, and uh, let's, let's do that together. Father, thanks for this time together this morning. We are indeed grateful for it. Uh, we trust that it will be a help and a blessing uh, to us as we look at Acts chapter 2 and understand the significance of uh, what fellowship looked like in the early church and therefore how we are to emulate that, uh, even in 2023 at New Community Church. We pray that you would help us uh, in that endeavor. And uh, Lord, not just in our time here this morning and the few moments that we have, but Lord, we pray that you would help us in applying these principles uh, to our lives, to our families, to Uh, all that you have for us, pray that it would be uh, a helpful uh, thing, a practical thing to think through uh, as we uh, look into uh, the principles that that we see here uh, in Acts chapter 2. We pray for those needs that uh, may have been mentioned here in this uh, class, Um, maybe some that haven't been mentioned. We pray uh, for those as well. Uh, Lord, we pray for those in Morocco, those in Maui that uh, are Devastated through uh, natural disasters uh, that have uh, taken their homes and their livelihoods. We pray that uh, you would be um, on display even in great catastrophes in those places. Lord, that uh, faithful Christians would uh, seek to be uh, a light of hope to those folks that are there. uh, And Lord, that uh, the gospel might be seen uh, for its beauty in the midst of the ashes. Uh, pray that you would use our time together now in Jesus name. Amen. All right. Well, the first couple of weeks here we've spent uh, really talking uh, about the foundation or the basis of fellowship. Uh, what is it and uh, how can we understand it rightly and, and have a uh, right foundation upon which to begin to build some of these practical uh, building stones of fellowship. And uh, first week, we talked a little bit about uh, the inner Trinitarian, I know that's a mouthful, um, uh, relationship within the Godhead and how uh, the God Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have uh, eternally existed in relationship together. And that is uh, upon which uh, we begin to see, uh, even in Genesis chapter 1 uh, that relational God making us in his image as relational creatures. And so, uh, understanding the Imago Dei, uh, that we are indeed made in the image of God. Uh, begins to be instructive for us on thinking about, uh, the relationship that, that we should have with God and that we should then have with one another. And so understanding that we are made relational creatures and understanding that, um, the significance of that, uh, for, uh, moving forward. And then, uh, Mike last week, helped uh, help, helping us understand, uh, some of the, uh, kind of emphasis and, and implications of that even, uh, the apostle John's writings. Uh, so we looked at John 17 a couple of weeks ago, uh, mentioned that last week and, uh, looked at first John a little bit last week, uh, just the significance and implications of, uh, our, our, uh, our position in Christ truly being the foundation upon which uh, we can have true fellowship. And I think the question may have been asked, uh, can you have fellowship biblically outside of Christ, outside of a relationship with Christ? And I think the resounding answer is no. Uh, you cannot have a true biblical fellowship because... Uh, as we're building this definition and understanding of fellowship, uh, it is only truly uh, in sharing in Christ uh, together. You can have a lot of common interest. You can have a lot of uh, um, conversation about a lot of different things, uh, sports, uh, you know, any kind of interest that you may have, but it really doesn't make the mark of biblical fellowship until... Number one, you're found in Christ and the other person uh, obviously is also found in Christ and you begin to have that common relationship. Everything else in your life may have no commonality, but the one commonality that you do have is being in Christ and that can and should and must be the foundation for our fellowship with one another. And so we talked about those things and uh, I cut myself short on time uh, two weeks ago and didn't get to the last point I had on the priority of the church. And so really uh, what we're going to do today is just uh, putting that together and emphasizing what is the priority of the local church. And then how do we begin practically playing out and manifesting our fellowship with one another through the context of the local church. Because it's truly in the local church that uh, is the context that these truths are made manifest. You know, they can be very abstract and kind of ethereal until you actually put it to practice in a local context. Uh, for us, that's New Community Church, right? That's where we are. That's where we worship. That's, that's the local church manifestation that God has been so kind to provide for each of us. And so that becomes uh, really the place upon which all of this becomes uh, in practice in our daily lives. And so the local church holds a significant role in facilitating and nurturing biblical fellowship among believers. Uh, I would argue that the local church, whatever church that may be, really is the lifeblood of the believer uh, if, if you detach the believer from a local church context, they will shrivel and die spiritually. It is the local church that is the rejuvenation and the, uh, the real blood flow of the, the believer. And for those people that uh, try to live the Christian life and all that God's called us to do and be as Christians, as his children, uh, detached from a local church, you will begin seeing weaknesses and atrophy within that believer's life. They may be a genuine believer. You know, it's possible that uh, for whatever reason, some, uh, they, they get saved and they find themselves in the context of a church and they see um, the uh, hypocrisy that is a reality in every one of our lives, right? Uh, it's true. We are not what we should be. Uh, so the faster we can all just kind of come to admit that reality, uh, the better off not only we will be, but the people around us will be, is yeah, I, I need to humble myself, acknowledge that I'm not everything that God has called me to be. I will fail you. Uh, it's one of the first things that I tell people in membership interviews when we do the elder member uh, interviews, is that uh, we are not perfect as elders. Uh, we will make mistakes. Uh, we, we are striving to honor the Lord the very best we can as a group, as a plurality. Uh, but there are going to be times where you may think that, man, you just kind of made a bonehead decision. What, what were you guys thinking? Uh, and we really strive hard not to do that. But the reality is we are uh, but men and men at best. Uh, we will fail and so will you. And that is the context that we'll talk about even over the next couple of weeks where we really need fellowship is because uh, we will be in relationship with one another, and we will, uh, you know, rub on each other in a way that will be painful at times. And as we rub shoulders and as we do life together, there will be times where uh, that is uncomfortable. And uh, there's times where uh, that's just not going to be all that you thought or expected it to be. And so all of a sudden that person just being kind of disenchanted with the church will detach from the church. And then all of a sudden they find themselves isolated out there uh, and not desiring and not uh, getting all that the local church and the the relationships within the local church that are intended by God. Uh, So the New Testament underscores the significance of fellowship within the body of Christ which refers to the community of believers, right? Not the building, not this location, but the believers that uh, that exist and make up any local body of, uh, of a church. Believers are seen as members of a unified spiritual body, each with unique gifts and roles. And so we need each other. And they're all interconnected and interdependent. Um, I think I've once used the illustration of the, the um uh, 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 what are they? The, uh, red, the, the tall trees out in, uh, Northern California. Yes. Redwoods. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, uh the, the redwoods out in California there. Uh, so when I was in seminary, uh, we had a summer camp up there one year, uh, right in the midst of the redwoods. It was absolutely beautiful. The t- trees were tire, higher than you could see the tips of the trees. Uh, and but what you'll see is if you're on you know the ground level, uh, you see all these roots protruding out of the ground, right? Uh, and what's interesting about redwoods is that they have very very shallow root systems, and if they were isolated on their own, they would in the first gust of wind come, just be uprooted. They'd fall over. But what happens is those root systems intertwine at that surface level, and that's where they retain their strength from. And so when those winds come and all that, they, the tops of those trees might, uh, might sway a little bit, but at the ground level, those things aren't moving. You know, they are not being uprooted. So it is for the church. You know, as we intertwine our lives and we're interconnected that way, we get our strength. Left to our our own, we will not have that strength. We will blow over and find our destruction very fast. And so uh, we see this taking place from the very inception of the local church in Acts chapter 2. And if you're not there, you can go ahead and turn to Acts 2. It's a very powerful section in the New Testament that highlights the early Christian community's devotion to certain essential practices. And it provides valuable insights into how human beings are created for community by emphasizing the importance of communal activities and shared values with one another. And so we will see that in uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. Let me see if I can uh, just get to that section. Uh, Actually, if somebody's there, why don't you go ahead and just read it while I get there. Acts chapter 2. 41 through 47, you can just read it out. So then, those who had received his word were baptized,
1: and that day they were added about 3,000 souls, and they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were dividing them up with all as anyone might need. And daily devoting themselves with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, <coughs> praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number daily Those who were being
0: saved. Very good. Thanks, Court. Well, we understand and begin to see in this passage the detailed account of the early Christian community, uh, the church, following the day of Pentecost. And this passage underscores the idea that human beings, that we, especially as believers, are indeed intended and created for community, and that it's in this kind of context that uh, God provides the local church and allows for that community to take place. And so the first thing there that you begin to see, uh, and that's your, your outline there, is expressing belief in verse 41. The passage begins with, those who were accepting his message were baptized, And this highlights the foundational role of shared beliefs and forming a community. We've talked about that a lot over the last couple of weeks here that really, as I've already said this morning, that apart from our faith in the person of Christ and what he has done in redeeming us and uh, establishing us in the faith, that we have no foundation for fellowship, but in the acceptance of the message, if you go back in earlier uh, of, of chapter 2 in Acts there, is what do you see? Well, you see the message of the gospel being proclaimed and even the Jews being called out for it, right? Uh, and, and Peter is calling them to repentance. And so what you see here, just on the heels of that, is people responding in faith, in belief, being baptized and being added to the church and what do you begin to see in that earliest inception of the church as you see some really important priorities that they begin to devote themselves to as we'll see here uh, in the passage but we were created for community and find our commonality in our belief in the gospel and our values beginning to align with those of the gospel. It's not about new community. And this may be a little shocking for maybe some of us even this morning. Uh, New community is not aligned on our political stance. Right? Uh, Political stances may end up aligning because of our belief in the gospel. And we hope that it would, right? That, That many of those things would have... Political implications for what we are to do and what we are not to do. For example, we should all applaud when our country outlaws the abortion of infants. We should all say, praise the Lord for that. That's God's grace in our country to allow for a place where we are saying, yeah, that is an atrocity against mankind, that that is evil. We should all be able to do that. Now, that's not what we are aligned on, right? Uh, that is an implication. That's a practical outcome of what we say we believe and what we understand, even going back to Genesis, made in the image of God, right? As it implies uh, the significance and value of that little life, that's where we get that from, right? We, we understand that as we begin... Uh, aligning ourselves with the truth of the word of God, the gospel, uh, that it will begin to uh, turn other value systems in our life. But it's not the value system itself that is where we find our commonality and agreement. Does that make sense? I just want to make sure that, that that's clear because I think it's very easy for us, especially as we come up on an election year, Uh, To begin to, you know, be these, you know, people that are pounding right-wing conservative politics, right? But that's not where we find our commonality. And especially that's important when we may find somebody in the local church here where they might have a different opinion politically. And we have to understand that our unity and our foundation first is not in that political stance, but in our belief in the gospel and our relationship as in Christ. Mm-hmm. God's not done with any one of us as it relates to our value systems and what what we call that, right, is sanctification, right, that we're all at different points along that process. And You may meet somebody and you may bump shoulders with somebody in the body of Christ that has a different opinion than you do on one of those things. The reality is, is that we need to respond to that person with truth and grace, not, you know, getting on our heels ready to fight for our political stance. I will say, it's just a little uh, item for uh, a uh, upcoming class is at the end of the year here, I'm going to be teaching a class on the hills to die on. Uh, and so that should be a fun class. Uh, it is a class where we're going to talk about. Uh, so at, at what point do we put a flag in the ground and say, no, I'll die for this one. Sometimes in the church, we treat everything like that. That's a problem. Uh, there can be secondary and tertiary issues that are not worthy to die for. Uh, On the other hand, there are things where, or people, maybe I should say, that aren't willing to die for anything. Uh, We need to understand what are those hills to die on, that we will plant our flag and say, this is one I'm willing to die on. Uh, But these, no, I, I can have unity in differences on, on those things. So uh, here at the end of the year, we'll be uh, going uh, on that. If, uh, if you'd like to be part of that class as well, I think it'll be a good time trying to discern what are those things and uh, how do we think through them. And I don't necessarily desire to give you, if you go to that class, just as a commercial here, the list of the things to die on. It's the thought process on how do you determine those things that you should or should not uh, die on. So we've already discussed over the last couple of weeks the critical importance of our fellowship being rooted in our faith in the gospel. And let's take one more step in thinking practically on how we can be involved in forming biblical community based upon our faith in the gospel. So being committed to the local church as the pillar in support of the truth, what are some things, some some ways, and this is where I'd like to hear from you, that you think that, you know, this is a way that we could uh, work on practically being more uh, focused on our foundation in the gospel. I've already given you kind of one with that political implication, but uh, some others, What, what are some other ways that uh, we make sure that we're finding our commonality in the gospel and in the right things, and not necessarily in the wrong things or in the things that really ultimately don't matter. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Okay. What do you mean by that? So, in your online thing, isn't there a mission statement? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. What you really stand for. Okay. Yeah. So the the doctrinal statement. Yeah. Doctrinal yeah. Statement. Yep. Good. Okay. So, but there, I would argue, and maybe I will in my, my upcoming class, <laughs> uh, there's probably even things in there that, uh, that are important. They're biblical. You know, we believe that I'm an elder. I, I certainly believe it, but there's, there's probably things in there stated that I don't know that, um, you know, I need to you know, go to war with someone on. Um, but yeah, but that's, that's a good foundation. But yeah. I
2: think just what you said, we're yeah. all at different levels in our same
0: time. Absolutely, yep, yep, absolutely. Good. That's a very good starting place. What else? Yeah, Bill. I did uh, a
1: uh, need to uh, walk in law
0: That's fundamental. And if we are very for that, then we're not going to have that Okay. All right. So uh, we love because he first loved us, and that should be the establishment of uh, how we love and, and defining how we ought to love, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things in the culture that would uh, want to help us understand. Uh, that well, we just accept everything, and that's love, right? And regardless of where you're at, or what you're doing, or what you're involved in, uh, that's a demonstration of love. But to have it biblically defined uh, is helpful in establishing that commonality and how we interact with with one another. That's good. Okay. Anything else? Yeah. don't uh, g-
2: Gender issue.
0: Okay. And uh,
2: you know who who owns our children? Do we or does the government? You
0: know? Okay. Okay. So, and help me tie that to fellowship. What, what's your thought there?
2: Well, I'm just thinking that, uh, you know, the Bible's pretty clear. Okay. As to, you know, uh, staying away from homosexuality and all those kind of issues. And, uh, you know, as we get into uh, uh, situations where transgender and LGBTQ and all that kind of okay. thing uh, rear their heads in public and become commonly accepted practices to the world, okay.
0: uh, we're not of the world. Yeah okay all right so uh making sure that our uh understanding of gender and uh the implications for even raising our children and raising uh the children within local church contexts is defined by the truth rather than the culture that's right okay good all right okay what else Okay. But
3: being on guard against pride
0: that would act as though we have made all the right decisions for our family and everyone should do what we do. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's good. Um yeah, we we often will say to our kids, Noah, right? Uh we, we say this in our house that this is just the Kerberg way. Sorry. <laughs> like this is just what we're doing in our family. It doesn't mean it's right or wrong, thus says the Lord it just means that this is what we're doing this is the bedtime that we're going with this is you know what we do on saturday nights that you know others may not have that conviction that's okay Uh, but we have certain standards for our home that uh, doesn't mean that that's what everyone else should necessarily do and having room and freedom uh, to do that so that's that's kind of the the flip side a little bit of some of that is understanding uh, and leaving room for other people's conscience within uh, our fellowship uh, and, and making sure that the things that are black and white are black and white and the things that aren't uh, are left with room and space uh, for individuals to work out. Yeah, good. Thanks, Molly.
3: Anything else? Okay. Just to yeah. That feedback, that would, I would just say preferences um, of, from everything from schooling choices to the food you eat to the routine you do. Um, you know, you have to be careful to me to just recognize those are preferences and not to put those on other people and have expectations that they need to be doing those things. Um, because they're just preferences. So
0: okay. yeah let me give you a couple of mine that i was just thinking through as implications of uh this point is expressing belief in the gospel that being our our foundation point and our center point uh, make the church the center point of your life uh, rather than an optional appendage uh, i think a lot of christians treat the church the local church as just kind of an option, optional add-on rather than the center point of their life, that everything in my life revolves around the church and the community of the church. Again, not the building, not the events uh, per se, though those things can be uh, structures, helpful structures for relationship, but it's the relationship uh, that, that it's not to uh, find my relationships first and foremost and everything else outside of the church, but to Uh, find my relationships first and foremost in the church uh, is, I think, a a practical implication of this, Um, that it is the church that's the pillar in support of the truth, right? So building relationships outside of the church, I cannot lean and depend upon those in, in times where I need to, to give me truth, right? Uh, I I cannot expect that from uh, someone outside of the local church or the church universal. Uh, I'll extend it a little bit to the church universal, but uh, I I can't expect that of just uh, anybody that I would uh, interact with at work or or wherever that may be, the gym or whatever, to give me insights spiritually to my life. That, That really can only be expected and leaned on as so much as it is in and through the church. Uh, but then I say also uh, lean in and support the church uh, in every way that you can. Uh, attendance, service, giving, discipleship. Uh, engage in all of those ways because it's that that will make the church the center point of your life practically. Um Let's continue on, and then uh, we'll have many more opportunities to kind of flesh these things out together as we talk about them. Secondly, there on on your outline uh, is enduring fellowship, enduring fellowship, Uh, Acts 2.42. And this is really kind of the meat of of, uh, a lot of this uh, text that surrounds it. But uh, immediately after we see the church form, we begin seeing the church devoting themselves to two fundamental things. We see them devoting themselves to apostolic teaching and to one another. Those two things, we see them clearly devoting themselves to those uh, two things. Um, and this word devoted has the idea of uh, obstinately persisting. I think Mike uh, mentioned that even last week. It's this, this, not just this casual like, oh yeah, I go, I do, I attend. Uh, no, it's like this I must have this as part of my life. This is I, I'm white knuckled on this thing uh, as hard as I can around the apostolic teaching and the devotion to one another within the body of Christ. Those are non-negotiables for my life. That's that's what is being said here. The, this word here, devoted, has that kind of idea of just white-knuckled, hanging on for dear life, whatever I have to do, uh, this is important to me. And this is significant as it's important as uh, as doctrinal fidelity is to the church, so too is our tenacious pursuit of one another within fellowship. So a church-like new community, right? We take doctrine as a big deal, really important. Like we teach a lot around here on the importance of doctrine and getting the text right, getting the word right, understanding God rightly, understanding ourselves rightly. We, we take that as a pretty big deal uh, at New Community. But what's said here, and rightly so, by the way, uh, but what's said here is not only is that important, but our tenacious, absolute commitment to one another is just as important. They were devoted to both of those things equally. And I think the way we actually treat one another often within the church is, yeah, doctrine is really important, but yeah, you're, you know, if, if, you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, and that and just shouldn't be. It, it, uh, biblically, we have to understand that how we engage with one another is just as important in the body of Christ. And so Acts 2.42 portrays the early Christian community engaging in fellowship They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And so uh, this Greek word, I think, again, Mike mentioned it last week, koinonia, uh, it's understood here and throughout the New Testament. uh, And this word is frequently used uh, and it carries a rich and deep meaning that encompasses very aspects of participation, communion partnership with one another. It's all that kind of idea. And then that second word layered on top of it, being devoted to those things, that's how we are to view one another within the body of Christ. We're to be so committed and devoted to one another that we would drop personal um, uh, agendas. We would drop those things that are comfortable and easy for us in order to care for one another. And so I would ask to just think about this a little bit together and that I might even learn from you ways that you have uh, experienced this, ways that you seek to practice this. Uh, what are some practical ways that you develop fellowship around the community of faith? What are some things that you have done that you've seen helpful towards you that maybe someone has done for you? What, what are some things as it relates to being devoted to fellowship, to these concepts that you have found to be helpful within your Christian experience. Yeah, Court.
1: Simple uh, phone call.
0: Okay. Wow, look at that. I think we could all do that, right? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Okay. Yeah, yeah, just kind of that maybe random phone call. of Like, yeah, it was, Mm -hmm. just came across my mind. And, you know, I don't believe those things are incidental by, you know, by the way. Um, I think the Lord prompts us in ways to, uh, someone randomly comes across our mind, yeah, go to the church directory, send them a text, a phone call, an email, like you, you probably can do that. You probably can take a couple of minutes uh, of your time at your desk or whatever it may be when it just so happens that you, you know, so happens, right? Uh, to think about that person you know, encourage them. That's great. Thanks, Squirt, that's, that's a helpful um, thought there. What else? Something that you've done that uh, you have found uh, to be helpful, someone's done for you that, yeah, Becca. Just like weekly microphones
3: with friends, like, like reaching out, seeing how they're doing, like even, you know, it's nice because your schedules don't have to sync up. Say like, that person has like, 20 minutes on their way to school, or you have 20 minutes on your way to work, but like they're checking in on you, you're checking in on them, and like praying for one another over Marco Polo, even too. It's just like life giving, just to like know, like okay, someone's there, they're checking in, but it doesn't always have to. You know, sometimes people's schedules don't speak up, but that's a way to like just connect when life's kind of chaotic. Okay.
0: How many of you don't know what Marco Polo is? <laughs> Everybody. <laughs> oh, maybe, Frank, maybe. Uh, <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> that's that's what I first thought when when I heard about Mark Pol- It's basically I, I've never used it actually, but I think it's like a video deal that you can make a video and send to someone basically right yeah, and then they can, can social it's kind of a social media method where you can you know make a video send it to them, send it back and um uh,
3: it too it's nice and you can like rewind it okay and so it's nice if you like miss something or you like forget you can go back and re-listen to it to remember like oh i didn't respond to this person's like this part of this okay
0: yeah yeah i know there's several folks that do that and it's a great great tool uh right it's uh technology is a neutral thing it's amoral uh it can be used for wonderful things it can be used for terrible things that's how we use them and that's a great Example of way that we can redeem that. Uh, I saw somebody else. Who was it? Somebody. Yeah. I was just
2: going to ask a question. If, if you call somebody and say Marco,
0: <laughs> oh well you hang up, Does that no. I was just impressed. Everybody knew what it was for the most part in here. That's that's good. Uh, Don, did you have something? I
2: was going to say, ordering and preparing food for 120 women yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. We're going to get to that specifically hospitality and, uh, that's on, that's on here, but very good. Yeah. Um, spending time even in a women's conference around food and, and doing that. Excellent. Uh, What else?
2: I think it's important to extend it outside of here. Okay. We can. We're so in, individualistic and private that we say, "Well, I went <laughs> to the thing, so therefore I'm fellowshipping." Yeah. And you're not actually fellowshipping. Mm. You're Just going to the thing. you're Yeah. You're saying super, super superficial hives to people in the hallway. And yeah. And go home. Yeah. But you act like, "Well, I, I go to this thing, so I'm doing it." Good. Yeah. And you have to like extend it, out, whether it be inviting people over or a small group or something outside yeah. of these walls, in order to make it more of an
0: actual relationship yeah. than a superficial thing. Okay. Good. Yeah, maybe it started here in the hallway, right? But it shouldn't end here yeah. in the hallway. Um uh, it, it's uh only beginning. Diane. Yeah, something on um, what uh Nicole just said is the ministering with one another.
3: It's it's not always just hospitality, but yeah. if I minister alongside somebody. Yeah. Yeah. And and that fellowship just naturally comes. Um, I remember when we first started coming to church here, somebody told me, just start ministry and you'll get to know the people. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. Mm. Volunteering in the children's ministry, you get to know the people in charge, you get to know the other other people that are assisting.
0: And I feel like that's a great way to bring people together to minister. Yeah it is indeed uh, and i hear stories pastorally about that all the time which is really uh really great to hear uh, it's one of the great encouragements of pastoral ministry for me is to be able to hear that hey we got to do this together and you know it's so fun and we got you know to serve someone by doing that and um uh, yeah it's it's fantastic um and and a wonderful way to uh get to know them and have that common, you know, mission that you're on whatever that is and uh it's good. It's good. Uh what else? Other thoughts. That, yeah. Go Courtney. For that, like discipleship. Okay. Like meeting with someone once a month. Yeah. Courtney and I do. Yeah. Which is just great cuz then you get to know them more but then still talk personally about the word. Yeah. Very good. So discipleship that's absolutely we we take pride in that a lot around here as well is that we gotta be pursuing that and in relationship with one another to uh, have the one another's truly take place. So that's good. Anything else?
3: Are we withholding our hospitality comments till we address
0: hospitality? Uh, you can go for it, we'll get to it, but if you've got something on your mind, go for it. <laughs>
3: and have the decorations be perfect. Hmm. And then sometimes I think we don't open up our homes because we're fearful of, oh, I can't mm-hmm. out right now. Um, so I'm trying to lean into just like, hey, if it's a bag yeah. of popcorn or a cup of tea, if it's a messy house, just like come sit on my couch and spend time with me and hopefully I can minister to you and vice versa Yeah. instead of always feeling the pressure to like do a nice party, which I personally love. But it does create stress and pressure.
0: So. Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, good. Anything? Yeah. I would Maria? say
2: um, just with, I guess, my generation, there's a, a big expectation of I'm going go to go and fellowship because of something I will get out of it. Mm. Um, and just that my, that mentality is something that is very destructive because that will hinder you from attending events or hinder you from encouraging others in the Word just because you're thinking, I'm not going to get anything out of it. I'm not going to have fun or, or joy, as Mr. Grant said. So we said, I'm going to withhold that instead of showing up and saying, no, this is, you know, I'm going to go and serve these people and minister and receive the blessings of fellowshipping with them um, and then just allowing that expectation to say like i don't have to put on kind of like you said molly i don't have to show them that this is what i'm working on this is who i am like you can show up and say this is what god is making me to be i'm still you know in Mm. this in this sanctification process um, and just being able to be alongside others and encourage them in that too yeah
0: yeah good i was going to say
2: when you are doing that you have to have open ears and open Mm. And you can't just come to church and sit and leave mm. because you're never going to be aware of what people's needs are. And I think that when you hear something and you can't assume, oh, someone else will take care of that, um, because it could be something as simple as a meal. They need their yard mode. They need child care. They've got an ailing parent. Maybe you have
1: some insight that you can help, but mm. you have to have... Mm.
0: Yeah, I, you're not asking for this, and I'm gonna embarrass you, and I would, Doug, too, if you were in here. But one of the prayers that they pray, I don't know about every Sunday morning, but yeah. most most Sunday mornings, I know uh, that I can say that is, uh, Lord, give us eyes to see, uh, and put ourselves second and look for the needs as we walk into church this morning. Um, something that you know I've really appreciated. Uh, and you guys were not doing that to, to brag, you were uh, only sharing that to, to be a help, I know. But uh, that's really helpful mindset uh, to enter how can I give, not how do I get, back to uh, Bria's comment there. Yeah, what, what can I do? So, good. Yeah. Um,
2: be a good listener. And if you see yeah. somebody that looks, just getting to know people on a deeper level than I are, or do you go out for coffee or something?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good. Any other thoughts on that? Yeah. I have a question. Sure.
1: If, if I'm trying to resolve, if you, you talk about the devotion to fellowship in verse 42. Yeah. And kind of a literal interpretation of that. How do you reconcile that against verse 45, which is pretty specific too? Yeah. So it's, you understand what
0: Um, keep going there as what, what do you have in mind as far as, yep. Yep.
1: Yep. Mm hmm. How do you reconcile that with the same degree of literal interpretation as you do to verse 42?
0: Oh, I I see what you're saying. Uh, so should we literally be selling our things to care for one another? Is that, would that be the literal? Yeah. Yeah, let's get to that. We'll, we'll get to that as we we move down here. Um, because so I guess
1: my question would be, yeah. that, does that then mean that this is mostly addressed to the early Christian church because of the amount of persecution?
0: Good, good question. Yeah, really, your question is kind of a hermeneutical question of uh, how do we interpret even the book of Acts? Uh, So what I would say is Acts in general, and even the passage we're looking at here specifically, we should understand it descriptively versus prescriptively. Uh, so it's not prescribing, you. Mu- it's not a command, right? Uh, so there in 45 that you're mentioning, uh, they were selling their positions and belongings and distributing proceeds to all as they had need. Uh, it was. It's not a command there. It doesn't say you must go do this. So is verse 42 though a command? Uh, verse 42 uh, is also uh, a, they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. Uh, it is descriptive, uh, there. And so it is not a command, but I, what I would say is what I'm seeking to do here is principalize what was being done in the early church to say, we could go to other passages throughout the new Testament. Uh, so as it relates to hospitality that we are just, you know, talking about, there's plenty of other scriptures Throughout the New Testament that says be hospitable uh, as a command, uh, and so, uh, but I can't go to another verse in the Bible that says sell all your things and give to those in need. Uh, so uh, there's there's a careful uh, principle in application that that we got to be careful of, uh, only to the degree that it's stated elsewhere, where it would be a prescriptive text that says you must do this. Um, you, you know, so elders are called to be hospitable. Like, as an elder, I don't have the option. Uh, I, I, you know, of course, it's not a duty for me. It's a delight. We love doing it. But uh, I, I don't have that option. Uh, do I have the option to sell my car to give to those in need or not? Yes, I do. Um, how that actually looks of my generosity, uh, towards others could differ from person to person. Does that help at all?
1: So I guess what you're saying is look for other supporting. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in the specific application of that, I think the principles are all here that should be true of all New Testament churches, but in the specific application of it to your life, to my life, to anyone's life, we would need to be careful that we don't go tell somebody uh, in the church, we'll sell everything you have to give, uh, because some people try to go to this passage and do that. And they think, I've actually read a book uh, of a pretty respected person that says that uh, poverty is uh, the ultimate sanctification. I don't believe that. I don't think the Bible teaches that. Uh, I don't think that you have to live in poverty to be sanctified. Um, But that's kind of getting a little bit askew. I don't know if that helps, but.
3: um, So it's more like an example.
0: the early church it's what was taking place uh, in the early church uh, and we began to see how they were devoting themselves what that looked like and really i think the exercise for us today is what could that look like in a new testament church like new community in our lives uh, today so uh, if it really got drilled down into a specific i would want to be careful that you know, no one walked out of here and said, well, I guess I gotta go put my car and my house and everything up for sale and, you know, to to really give to everybody that's in need. Um, I don't think that would be an appropriate application uh, to the text. One, you might put your family on the street by doing that. Well, now you're violating other scriptures (laughs) to care for your family, uh, right? And uh, that if you don't do that, then you're worse than an unbeliever. Uh, So uh, lots of things that we could talk about there. But uh, Mike, yeah. Yeah,
2: I was just going to make a comment, certainly descriptive, but also um, when you think about the vaporous nature of all that we have here this side of glory, we all ought to hold on to it pretty loosely. And collectively within the body life of this church, we do have a a very active benevolence ministry. Hmm. So the people of this church give freely of themselves into a fund that then reaches down hmm. into lives and into people who really need help and, and an act of, of, of benevolence the term is just a volitional act of goodness and so this is going on here all the time and so yeah you see passages like this and it, it is descriptive it isn't prescriptive but cults take this and they say, in order for you to gain entry into this cult or this group, you have to sell everything. And then the elders get to deliver that out to whoever they feel is in greatest need or however it's appropriate. This is, this is definitely a passage that many groups have gone way askew of understanding the description and then taking it into real-life kind of proscriptive activities of the church.
0: So. Yeah. Yeah,
1: shot in time in the book of Acts. Yeah. Because later on, Paul has to ask, you know, and bring collections from Macedonia and Achaia to help them because they were poor in poor people in the church in Jerusalem. So it's not like everything was fine and dandy, and you know they lived happily happily ever after.
0: So right. It's, it's not like that. Yeah, finish the story, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's an wonder. In fact, I, I'm sure many commentaries
1: will tell that the book of Acts the today as we exercise as the lord leads Hmm. as the spirit leads because it looks like at this time when the church was born looks like the spirit just placed in their hearts the need to help everybody and Hmm. that will continue to be our need till the cows come home or until the rapture (laughs) comes we are going to need everybody for sure yeah and and that's i think it's it's an ongoing thing whether the lord brings our hearts into a position where, listen, I gave you money to help, you help. And that's, I think, something that each of us. Yes, responsible
0: for. absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you don't even see even in Acts in this particular context that it's commanded for them to go do that. No, it was just as to your point, the spirit moving their heart, saying, I want to help yeah. Like I want to help my brothers and sisters so this is what I'm going to do. No one, you know, you didn't see the apostles commanding it. You didn't see anyone saying, Hey, this is what you should go do. Um, you know, it, it, no, nobody was manipulating, you know, the, you know, so it was just, no, I, I love my brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to go do this for them. Uh, so that's a really good point. Thank you for that. Yeah. I mean, it's all like kind of where your heart is. Like if you gave everything up and your heart
2: wasn't Forgiving, giving, it's like, well, then you just wasted, like, there's no gain for you, there's hmm. no gain to the Lord, there's no gain for that person. Um, and so it's a heart of like, okay, well, their hearts were to help others and give what they could give um, to provide for the people that needed it, and it was their
1: hearts behind it that were being glorified through the, the fellowship together, and yeah. through, like, I mean, all the glory was given to the Lord, yeah. and he was added to that number, um, and so I think it's a heart thing more than just like, oh, you got to go sell everything, because yeah. you can go sell everything, and
0: it means nothing. Sure. It. Yeah, good. good. Well, you guys are clearly already in the third point of the outline here. Uh, Exhibiting love through meeting practical needs. Uh, Exhibiting love through meeting practical needs. You see that in verses 44 and 45. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold properties and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And so these verses emphasize the sense of unity and mutual support within the community. We're created for this community in order that we might have this companionship and it provides for a platform for collective kindness and benevolence, even as Mike said. So how do we do that at a church like New Community? Well, we have a benevolent fund that Mike as deacon uh, oversees and uh, we have entrusted them with that and we have an application that when there's a need we ask for them to fill that out and uh, we assess the need and assess the situation and say okay, uh, this meets the criteria that we've established in order to care for these uh, types of needs. So again, uh, I would say in principle, uh, that is how we have sought to do that at New Community for a long, long time, uh, longer than I've been around. I. I presume probably since the beginning uh, of the church or close to it. Uh, even when uh, there were needs here at the church, we sought to you know, meet the needs of individuals uh, outside the walls uh, of, of the church in their own lives and, and all that. And so um, you know, maybe a couple of uh, things to think about is to uh, seek to gain involvement in others' lives that you might be aware of their needs, right? Um, I think the the principle here is, well, you have to know them to know their need. Uh, You have to be engaged in their lives uh, to know because most people don't flaunt their needs around, right? They don't, you know, go in. And actually, if they do, those are the people that we're most concerned about. Uh, It's the people with true genuine needs that they're working as hard as they can, and they're doing everything they can. Uh, to make ends meet. And those are the people that we want to say, hey, I want to sacrifice for you. Uh, I know you're doing everything that you can. And for whatever reason, God has put you in a place where uh, it's very difficult for you to m- make ends meet right now. It's uh, often not even any fault of their own, right? Uh, it's just uh, the, the provenance of the Lord and how that looks in their life. And you get the opportunity to come alongside of people like that and say, I just want to, the Lord's blessed me. I want to bless you in return uh, with just a portion of what the Lord has entrusted me with. And sometimes that does mean self-sacrifice, right? And it, it means like, I'm going to sacrifice something here. What we saw, not not commanded again, but just out of their the volition of their own hearts, that they decided that they were going to sell property and possessions to give to those who had need, uh, and uh, I would I would wonder and be curious, like not for a show of hands by any means, but just a rhetorical question, like when's the last time that we have had that kind of opportunity in our life, as a recipient or as a giver, that uh, a young or a, an older man as a younger man in college. Uh, came to me one day. Uh, it was just before Christmas break, and he gave me an envelope and made a comment towards uh, that I think had a gas card in it, if I remember right. And I said, "Oh, I, I'm I'm fine. I, I'm, you know, I've got the funds to get home. I'm I'm good." And uh, he was kind of an older farmer guy and uh, put his, you know, hand on my shoulder pretty tight. Uh, And he looked me in the eyes, he said, Jeremiah, there cannot be a gracious giver without a gracious receiver. Oh, okay. Wow, I'm convicted. I took the envelope and uh, (laughs) I said, you know, I guess I can't, you know, turn that down at this point. And, uh, you know, that's that's the way that I had the gas uh, money to get home. Uh, for Christmas break that year. Uh, again, I had the funds, but he just wanted to uh, be kind and uh, to me in that way. And, and there's those opportunities, both as a receiver and as a giver, uh, that we have to learn to be uh, gracious with what the Lord uh, has entrusted uh, to us. But uh, what are some other thoughts, maybe, that you have as it relates to this principle, exhibiting love through meeting practical needs? What, what are some thoughts that you might have in principle? You know, I, one of the things that, that I mentioned here was I was just trying to think through it is uh, uh, identifying needs often requires a level of discernment. Uh, we're not talking about identifying luxuries. Uh, we're talking about identifying the needs of individuals, and I think that maybe goes to the point Lynn was making earlier: is having eyes to see, ears to listen, to pay attention to uh, what someone uh, needs in their in their life, and maybe it's not you know cash or you know maybe it's a practical way. Uh, I, I heard uh, just this week that as Pastor Alex had uh, surgery on his Achilles from. Uh, we were playing too hard of pickleball one day uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, and and pulled his Achilles. Um, and uh, somebody had offered to uh, mow his lawn for him. You know, that uh, it was going to be difficult. Obviously, Cindy uh, would be difficult for her to do that. Uh, be basically impossible for Alex to do it uh, at this point uh, until he heals up. And so somebody reached out. That's that's a. Very practical demonstration of meeting uh, a need and having the eyes and ears to see it and and going to meet it. Uh, But then uh, number four here, uh, exercising hospitality. Uh, We've kind of talked around a little bit of uh, this, but uh, we'll take it head on here. Every day they continued to meet together. And this is verse 46. uh, In the temple courts, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And so uh, I think what we begin seeing here is sharing meals is really kind of a universal symbol of community and fellowship. Uh, that we begin to uh, really share life often around a dinner table right it's true of our individual families right Uh, it's a priority for the Kerberg home that we have some dinners together throughout the week right and especially right now that's really difficult that sometimes we have soccer Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday night right now in the fall and then games on Saturday and Sunday. So the only night we have open is Friday. Uh, this, uh, right now, it's kind of crazy. Uh, we really work hard for that not to take place, but uh, that's, that's what the Lord has for us right now. Uh, so spending intentional time around the dinner table as a family is important. Uh, that we can talk about each other's days and uh, school and what's going on and uh, and having some devotion time and doing some of those kind of things, uh, so is it true around the family of God. Uh, having just that uh, slow down time where we can just have a meal together and talk about life and engage, uh, getting to know one another, engaging uh, in those kinds of relationships. And this highlights our need for... Uh, the social interaction, engagement with others within the body of Christ. Uh, We are created again for community because communal meals represent a shared experience that deepens our bond with others. There's nothing quite like having a meal around a dinner table with someone else. And I'm not saying it just has to be that, uh, but finding ways to engage and just slow down life a little bit to spend that kind of time together. Uh, so I just ask uh, some some things for you to be thinking about. Uh, I'd love to hear from you on on practicing and exercising uh, hospitality. Uh, but I would just ask uh, again a rhetorical question: When was the last time that you opened your home for someone else? I would just ask that uh, we are we're called to do it. We're called to engage. Uh, in this kind of activity. And uh, it doesn't have to be your home. Maybe you have reasons for one reason or another that that just doesn't work for you, Uh, whatever it may be, but find creative opportunities. Fall time, it's beautiful outside. Go to a park, have a meal together, have a picnic, do things that you can just spend some time together with the body of Christ. Um, uh, another thing that we've learned uh, is we have to really be intentional with our calendar in order to make this a priority uh, because uh, the, the onslaught of life comes and all the demands and if you don't prioritize uh, that as making slots for it in your schedule, then it will get filled. And a lot of other things will uh, will take place, but but this may be neglected. Uh, but let me learn from you. I, I'd love to hear uh, things that you've learned. Molly already mentioned some things that she mentioned uh, there. Uh, Courtney and I've learned a, a, a host of other types of things as it relates to, um, you know, just we're we're pretty. Um, what would you call us? Uh, type A and. Um, you know, organized and clean and, you know, all these kinds of things. And uh, I think a little bit to Molly's point, we've had to learn to, uh, that, that you can be so clean and so organized and so that people can't actually just sit and relax, you know, because they feel like, Oh, I'm gonna mess something up around here, uh, and uh, we, we've had to like we don't actually care about that, but we like realized in in practicing hospitality that sometimes I think we're giving off that vibe a little bit like that we care. Well, we have four kids, we don't care. Uh, well. <laughs> We do, but uh, <laughs> only to the extent that it's a stewardship issue uh, in, in our lives. And uh, I have to be careful of that uh, as dad and uh, husband, that uh, I don't use stewardship as the excuse uh, of not messing up the house. So um, what, what are things that you've learned in hospitality and exercising? Dave, yeah. Okay. We get, you know, the hour
1: before small group is never the most relaxing hour in our house. It's like the most chaotic. <laughs> Harry gets a trash
2: bag and he empties every trash can. And Audrey vacuums the floor. And we just kind of do it as a hmm. family. It's become a way of life hmm. for us. And it's just been, to me, it's just a great example. Hmm. And they're serving That's
0: alongside great. us. And just a good reminder to, that it's you know, not our home and we're opening it for others. Hmm. And they, get, they just jump in with us. Yeah. Good.
1: There are cleanies and messies,
0: <laughs>
1: and uh, when you go to a cleanie's house, you do feel that way, like you said. Yeah. But the cleanies don't care if they go to a messy's house, uh, and they don't mean to do that, um, and the men just don't care. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so my point is, I guess, uh, as we age, why it becomes more and more difficult. To um, have people over because the cleanies have to have everything perfect and it takes a number of hours or days to do that. But let's not feel that way. And especially hmm. if you're not a cleanie or a messy, why don't worry about it? Come over and mess the house up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Uh, it can be cleaned
0: later. All right. Yeah. Yep. That's so good, yeah. Uh, let me just give you uh, the last blanks here, and then uh, we'll, I want to spend just a minute uh, talking about the very last one. Um, number five is exuding an emotive response. Uh, just a, a note here, uh, uh, they broke uh, bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Uh, exuding an emotive response. That's not what we have. Oh.
1: Engaging corporate.
0: Uh, maybe I moved it around. Sorry, uh, I did because I wanted it in order. Uh, so whatever order that is, then uh, you have engaging corporate worship as number five. Uh, what do you have as six? Embracing. embracing numerical growth. Okay, and then seven would be exuding an emotive response. Uh, but let me talk just about uh, embracing numerical growth. Uh, what's really interesting here is the Lord added to their number daily to those who are being saved. I think sometimes we can have a response of numerical growth as not a positive thing. Uh, we're experiencing that here at New Community Church even right now, right? There's challenges. Uh, I'll get you the blanks if uh, you guys are... I, I, I see it. I see it. Uh, all the type A's are going crazy right now. Right <laughs> now. I get it. Uh, All right, so exuding an emotive response, whichever one that is. Sorry, I moved it around. Exuding an emotive response. So ours
2: is like exuding blank community.
0: What's that? (laughs) I don't know. Uh, Really? Man, I really messed it up. Uh, I don't know. It should be engaging in corporate worship. Verse 47a you have that? Okay. Oh, wow. Something really got messed up there. So just scratch whatever's on there. Number five is exuding an emotive response, Acts 2.46B. Number six is engaging in corporate worship, Acts 2.47A. And then number seven should be embracing numerical growth, Acts 247b. Does that clear it up? (laughs) Sorry. I don't know what happened there. Um, Anyway, the point being uh, is that we often view numerical growth as a hindrance and even a challenge and a difficulty. Uh, There are challenges that come with it, but it's God and a faithful ministry that's bringing that growth, and we should learn to embrace it and understand that God is doing his work where he wills, when he wills, and we should embrace it for the glory of God. So uh, we'll see you next week. Uh, Thanks for your patience with me on those last (laughs) ones.